from Kurtco Media. Coming up on the show. So people come there and it's just a total vibe. It's such a, a social scene. There's usually a band playing. Everyone is salsa dancing. And I was like, I can't believe what a strange little thing this is, that every evening people come here and they dance and they like go on the internet. That's travel journalist Esme Benjamin. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional travel experiences. I want to thank all of you who listened to our MasterChef series, which we just wrapped up. And I got to say, that was a ton of fun to put together. AJ and I had a blast putting all those episodes together, talking to all these incredible chefs. I hope all of you enjoyed it as much as we did putting it out. I want to mention, I'm happy to say, that we're going to do another MasterChef series launching in January. We've got Wolfgang Puck, Charlie Palmer, and several other great chefs. So please check that out when we launch it in January. We also have a bunch of great episodes in the next few weeks coming up, including our top destinations for 2024. That's going to be a fun episode. So please check that out. Today, my guest is the travel journalist, Esme Benjamin. She's a friend of mine and a colleague, and she's also the host of a podcast, a great podcast called The Trip That Changed Me. I'm actually going to be a guest on Esme's podcast talking about a trip that changed me. And as you can kind of tell from the title of her show, it's all about life-changing travel experiences. And Esme has, you know, from her guests, she has great stories of these kind of adventures that people have gone on. But she also has had some incredible travel experiences and life-changing travel experiences herself, including a very cool American, kind of like great American road trip. But the funny thing here was that neither her husband nor her knew how to drive before they before they decided to take this trip. They're also British, and so they kind of have a, a very different perspective on the classic American road trip than I think a lot of us do. If you like this episode please give us a review, a rating, follow us, all those things that that you can do to help support travel that matters. But for now, enjoy some life-changing travel tales with Esme Benjamin. Attention fellow foodies, Bruce here, and I've got something truly special to spice up your day. Are you someone who believes that cooking and baking are about more than just following a recipe? I certainly am. Isn't really more about creating moments and memories and flavors that last a lifetime. Travel That Matters is very proud to have partnered with Watkins, the brand that's been helping passionate chefs, bakers, and home cooks like you and me flavor every moment. From crafting family recipes to inventing new dishes that are uniquely you, Watkins' innovative flavoring products have been a secret chef ingredient for more than 155 years. Watkins takes great pride in their products being free of artificial flavors and colors, and many are also non-GMO verified, certified organic, kosher certified, gluten-free. They offer a full line of flavoring products, including pure extracts, spices, herbs, grilling seasonings, rubs, marinades, bitters, and even artificial dye-free baking sprinkles. So, if you're as excited as I am to elevate your culinary creations... Look for the Watkins products at your favorite retailer and join the Watkins community on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and X by searching for Watkins1868. That's Watkins1868.
Esme, thank you for joining us on Travel That Matters. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. As a fellow a fellow travel journalist and, and colleague of mine, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. So I want to start, and I, I happen to know this since we do a lot of work together. You just got back from Italy, but not not your typically typical Italy trip. You were at the ranch, which is like kind of known as a very, I mean, the one in Malibu here at least is very kind of strict wellness. I've heard stories about all you eat is, you know, a handful of almonds and things. Can you tell, like, how does a like a wellness experience like that work in Italy? I mean, yeah, what weirder place to host a wellness retreat than the land of gelato and pasta and exactly. burrata? Yeah, so the ranch, for anyone who's not familiar, started in Malibu, and it kind of became famous as the place where celebrities go to drop a few pounds before the red carpet event that they have coming up. So it's really intensive. The program is like you wake up at 6 a.m. and you do stretch class and then you eat breakfast. You hike for four hours. Then you come back, you rest a little bit. Then you have a weight session, like a strength training session and a yoga class. And then you can just kind of relax until dinner that evening. And you do all of this on 1400 calories. (laughs) The food, I will say, was pretty satiating. And they tried to do their like Italian spin on things Like they had a pizza, but it was like cauliflower and oat crust with like loads of roasted vegetables on top and some sort of nut cheese thing but yeah it definitely it it seems counterintuitive to hold it in Italy but I will say that the place where it's based Fuji which is like an hour outside of Rome is actually a place that people have gone to for centuries for their reputedly healing waters that come down from the mountains although it does seem crazy it does sort of make sense but I will say that I did bookend my experience with gelato at the beginning. I was going to say. I had to. I was like, this is sacrilegious to come to Italy and not have some ice cream. That's funny you say it. A friend of mine did the one in Malibu here. She was in town from New York and, and I met with her right. I mean, she had just finished the program and she's like, I need a margarita right now. Yeah, and they give you these like this aftercare kind of booklet where they're like, ease back into your regular diet. Maybe just slowly introduce gluten, slowly introduce dairy. No, I think most people like go straight to Rome and have a massive (laughs) bowl of pasta. Well, that that is a good place to kind of for your your bounce back. Your uh, what was it? It was revenge travel after after the pandemic, right? And so that's kind of your revenge eating after after a little bit of deprivation. I mean, honestly, I've. I really like the sound of that experience. I mean, whether it's in Malibu or, or Italy, I've, I do think it would be just, just like take you out of your element for, for a few days, right? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was that, you know, it kind of, pre- when I was first reading about the program, I was like, I don't know if I can actually do this. I fully expected to be asking for more portions of food. Um, and also I had a baby like a year ago. I'm not like, if I'm honest, in as good a shape as I used to be. So I didn't know whether I could keep up, but it takes all of your options out of the way. So the only thing that you really have to focus on is just following the program. So wellness has been something that you focused on throughout your your career as a journalist. And and somewhere else I know on a trip that, you know, again, I don't think most people think of, of this place as a, a wellness destination by any means, but you went to Cuba. Tell us a little bit about that experience that you had there. I think somebody originally tagged me in a post on Instagram by a studio that was just outside of Havana called My Yoga. And they were looking to host people for their first ever press trip. So they were looking for content creators and writers with some sort of background in yoga. And I am a trained instructor as well as a wellness and travel writer. So I was like, this is perfect for me. So they accepted me and and I went to stay with the owners of the retreat. So there's a guy called Eduardo Pimentel, who is known as the godfather of Cuban yoga. 
it's interesting to have yoga there in the first place because I think the communist government doesn't look very kindly on anything that has roots in religion. And obviously yoga is very strongly linked to Hinduism. So I think Eduardo, when he was learning yoga, there was no, there was nowhere for him to learn it. So he basically had to buy books and teach himself. He started teaching small classes in his home, but then it really ramped up when basically the Soviet Union dissolved, which meant that Cuba no longer had access to all of their medical supplies, which their communist allies were sending over to them. So Castro was like, what are we going to do? So he launched this green medicine initiative, which was like acupuncture, herbs, things that they could have access to on the island. And so he enlisted Eduardo as the advisor to the Ministry of Healthcare. And from there, he had his own show on TV and he started spreading the message of yoga. Obviously, he accepts that it's not the same as going to a hospital if you have something wrong with you, but he is very into alignment and how the small things that we do every day, like carrying a backpack or a bag on one shoulder, not the other, start to push us out of alignment. And then that causes issues with our body down the road. So, yeah. Now, I know you you are a big fan of Cuba and, and honestly, as a, I'm assuming you're UK citizen. <laughs> yes. So you can actually go there when whenever you want. It's a little easier for you to visit. What is it about Cuba that just stood out to you as, as kind of a place like we all should go? I think the thing I value most above all else in travel is the culture shock feeling. You know, like that feeling of this is not how we do it, where I'm right. from in right. the best possible way. Yeah, like, right. I absolutely yeah. love that. That is what I seek out. And so there were so many things like, you know, they don't really have access to the internet in Cuba. Well, they do, but you have to pay a lot of money. And since most Cubans don't make much money, they don't have internet access at home. So the government set up Wi-Fi parks where you can go and buy like a little pay-as-you-go card and you can log on for like half an hour just to check your email or do whatever you need to do. But it's all centered around these public spaces. So people come there and it's just a total vibe. It's such a a social scene. There's usually a band playing. Everyone is salsa dancing. And I was like, I can't believe what a, a strange little thing this is that every evening people come here and they dance and they like go on the internet and they like hang out and like kids. Yeah, Wi-Fi party, exactly. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Esme is going to tell us about some life-changing trips, including the one that changed her. That's my segue into the fact that you actually host a podcast about that very that very thing, how travel changes us and the, the trips, the, the changes. Tell us a little bit about, about the podcast and how you got that started. Yeah, so it's called The Trip That Changed Me. And it's an interview format show featuring these guests whose lives have been changed by travel in some way. So we've had a real mix of people from travel entrepreneurs to TV personalities, famous chefs, writers, performers. But yeah, the stories, they're all really unique, but I think there are definitely some through lines and common themes that I've identified, which is like, you know, bravery and boldness, curiosity, trusting your gut intuition and living a life that feels authentic to you, even if it's not the one that society dictates or expects. Is there like one trip or one story that just stands out to you? Is like, just like, Wow. I mean, there are so many great examples, but I think a recent episode that a lot of people have spoken to me about was the ultra endurance cyclist and children's rights activist, Juliana Burig. 
So she was raised in a cult called the Children of God. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like kind of renowned for child abuse, really nasty. She was like raised in it, born there. And that was all she knew for years and years and years. And I think it helped her to develop survival skills of adaptability and and resilience. And at the age of 23, she did manage to escape the cult. She wrote a book called Not Without My Sister, which became a bestseller and actually contributed to the dissolution of the group in 2010, which is amazing. But then she was out and she was like, this is all I've ever known. How do I build a life in the wreckage of all of this? So she ends up getting in touch with an old flame, an explorer called Hendry, uh, which I didn't even know that you could really get modern day explorers, but love that. (laughs) (laughs) And they developed this long term, this long distance relationship where they're kind of messaging on Facebook and they are making plans for her to go out and see him. I can't remember where he lives, but I think it's like South Africa or something. But then in a crazy turn of events, Hendry is on an expedition in the Congo and he gets pulled from his kayak by a crocodile and he's never seen again. His body is never recovered. Wow. So Juliana is completely devastated and doesn't really know what to do with herself. And so she decides that she's going to become an endurance cyclist and she embarks on her first ultra endurance bike ride, an 18,000 mile journey through 19 countries And she finishes it in 152 days and she earns a world record. And this woman has no experience with cycling. (laughs) She just does it. She's purely, like her mind, the fortitude she has is incredible. Well, that's one of those people though, you can't really relate to all that much because they're just like, they're just, they're above and beyond. Like that, that's incredible. I was like, wait, Um, tell me how you do this. Like, because I feel like there's gotta be, I I think you just have to be born with that. And she had the perfect, her specific dispositional psychology. And then the things she endured as a kid created this person who's just so strong. I got to listen to that episode now. I've listened to a lot. That one I have not heard. Okay. So let, okay. So we both agree that she is kind of above and beyond our realities. She does things that we can't do, but what has there been a guest that has like, I don't know, inspired you to take a similar trip or some kind of trip like that, the meaning that they got out of it inspired you to do something? I think one of the through lines for many of the guests is that this, their stories spring from a certain turning point in their lives. And I think when things go, don't go according to plan, like relationships ended or you lose a job or we're depressed or we're grieving. I think if you love travel then your mind goes straight to like, can I, can I go traveling? Can I use Can I, the, can I run away? <laughs> can I run away? I didn't want to say it like that, but basically bit, yeah, can I run away? Yeah. And I think, you know, setting out on a trip and hoping to use that as a way to process something or even to experience some novelty to kind of reset your brain. That's definitely, I think, an instinct that I share with a lot of the guests. So let's talk about that. Let's talk. I, w- I want to talk about a trip that changed you <laughs> right after we met. You embarked on a uh, a pretty incredible journey, something I think a lot of people dream about doing and have not, for whatever reason, pulled the trigger on. You did a massive road trip, I think five months, something like that, through the United States. What prompted that? Is this something you dreamed about? Or, you know, like what, where were you when this, when you made the decision to take this trip? So I think this trip was probably a year in the making. We went in the summer of 2021. And I think 
Well, first, let's just set the scene. All of us remember what the pandemic was like in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so all of us remember that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the beginning of 2020, like when the pandemic first kicked off, New York was the epicenter. And so we were locked down in these tiny apartments that, you know, it's a very different experience from having like a large house with land that you can go outside. I think that was really difficult. And then, you know, God, I just remember it was so quiet because no one was on the streets and you could just hear sirens like 24 hours a day, which was so unnerving. And then uh, that summer was just protests, protests, protests and riots, furious people after the murder of George Floyd. That was a very tense time as well in the city. And then also the bonkers election. Let's not forget about that. <laughs> that, was that? <laughs> it was just a lot for yes. everyone. It's been an interesting few years. For yeah. <laughs> but on top of that, in that first year of the pandemic, I lost a dear friend from college, two grandparents and also a pregnancy. And this was probably the first time that, you know, I've been relatively sheltered from grief in my life. I'm privileged in that way, but it was just a lot to cope with in the space of a year. And I felt like I was having so many issues with anxiety. I just felt like completely crushed by everything that had happened in that first year of the pandemic. And I just needed to get out. So I was just like, I need something, I need a reset. I need something completely different. And so my husband and I had actually gone down to Miami because after the miscarriage, I was like, I need to just have a break. I don't care about getting sick. I just need to sit in the sun for a second. Right. I was on the beach and I just suddenly had this thought of like, what if we just put our stuff in storage and went around the country and did a big road trip? We could work remotely. Both of us were already working remotely before the pandemic. So we were very used to that. And I was like, there's really no reason not to. We, we don't have a mortgage or anything. Like we're pretty free and independent. So... I pitched it to him over dinner and he was a bit like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. And I was like, great. Now, is, he, is he from the US or is he? No, he's British he, as well. He's also British. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm sorry to hear the circumstances around that, but I also do, like you said, it, it kind of, it is those moments that change your perspective and, and perhaps lead to something like a decision that has long-term benefits and kind of takes you in a direction you weren't expecting to go. Now, you're traveling through the U.S. in a very strange time with lots of tension between sides and, and of course, still in the pandemic. Did being British give you a different perspective on that experience? And do you think it you, you enjoyed it more or less? It's hard for me to say for certain. I will say <laughs> that neither me nor my husband could actually drive. <laughs> And I don't mean we just like didn't have our US licenses. I mean, we just never learned to drive and we're in our mid thirties at this point. So we were like, oh, we should probably do that first. Um, so we had to pass our test and buy a Honda Civic. You know, we both grew up in cities and have only ever lived in big cities. And so we had access to public transport and just we just didn't learn. So plus England is small, right? It's only the same size as maybe like Michigan or Oregon. So although we do drive places, you would never refer to it as a road trip. You know, there's not really a long drive that you can do unless you went from like the furthest, the southernmost point to the northernmost point. Also, because we, we are permanent residents of the US, we've lived in New York for 10 years. And I think being an expat, at least in the beginning, made me feel as if I was living on vacation. I think over time, I've gotten really used to living in New York. And now I feel it feels like home and I feel completely assimilated. But when I leave New York and I go to other places in the States, because each state is really like its own country, <laughs> mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm a tourist and in that way, I think, you know, I fall in love with it. 
and I just feel so engaged and excited to explore. Yeah, I th- look, I mean, flipping the script, I, I do think I would probably be more fascinated by a road trip through Europe than than you would, because I do think like you bring a different perspective. And that mm-hmm. that's I, I, that feeling of like getting out of New York and realizing, okay, wow, I am in a different place and, and you know, experiencing new things on a constant basis on a road trip like that. It was interesting because, you know, you mentioned that it was it's a tense time politically, which it, it really was. I mean, it still is. But it was interesting being, although we feel like we're very much New Yorkers, hearing the British accents, people were much, were very emboldened to give their opinions, shall we uh. say, of, in a way that was a little grating for liberals to hear, because a lot of the places we were traveling through were very conservative. Yeah. Um, you know, they just assumed that we had no skin in the game because we've got foreign accents, you know. So yeah, it would, that was really interesting. But I think for on the most, for the most part, it just taught me that like people are so interested and so kind. They're like, what are you doing in our tiny town, foreign person? Right. <laughs> and they also got a massive kick out of the fact that we are English people with a corgi, the queen's favorite dog, <laughs> RIP. Okay. So where did this great American road trip with two people who don't drive, give us a, a general kind of like, where did you go? Okay. So we were our first proper stop was montana so we were we were traveling through like pennsylvania ohio indiana illinois wisconsin etc the only place we stopped for a couple of days was south dakota we went to mount rushmore and we also went to the badlands national park that was our first national park and then we unloaded in montana in a cabin on a lake near where the revenant was filmed just exactly what you'd want from Montana, like this lake right outside our door with these mountains. It was gorgeous. Um, and we also visited Glacier National Park while we were there. And then two weeks later, or three weeks later, we went to Wyoming and we landed in a little town called Cody, which is named after Buffalo Bill Cody. And it's also where Kanye has his ranch. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> it's like two hours from Yellowstone. So we spent a weekend there as well. And then after that, we drove down to Boulder, Colorado which we fell in love with. Like we very almost, we very nearly moved to Boulder because we, we thought it was incredible. The fact that you can drive five minutes from where we were staying on Pearl Street or near Pearl Street and then be in the Flatirons, like access to all that hiking and to Rocky Mountain National Park, which is really close by. And it just has a great vibe. So we loved Boulder. After that, I think we took a week or 10 days off of work because this whole time you were like working during the week and then the weekends we'd either go to a national park or we'd drive to the next place. So we took a week off and we went to the border of Colorado and Utah, where we stayed for a couple of nights at a fancy hotel. We treated ourselves, uh, Gateway Canyons Resort and Spa. I don't know if you know that one. It's like where they filmed Westworld, some of the scenes from Westworld. And then we drove down um, to Arizona, went to Monument Valley, which I thought was incredible. Antelope Canyon, the Grand Canyon, and then into California. So we were meeting friends in Joshua Tree for a few nights. And then we had a wedding in Ojai. The friends who got married did like a buddy moon in Big Sur. So we drove up the coast to Big Sur. And then like a whole California experience was staying with friends. So we went up to San Francisco um, to stay with some friends who lived there and did sort of wine country shenanigans with them. And then down to LA um, to see some friends in Silver Lake. So you very much focused on on the West, which I'm, I appreciate. Yes. And you, you had this very outdoorsy. It sounds like, you know, being in a in an apartment in New York yes. for, for two years made you want the great wide open of, of Montana and the like, you know, how much of this was planned and how much did you just kind of like, hey, let's let's go here instead? 
Good question. I would say it was pretty meticulously planned just because I love <laughs> planning travel. Um, right. And also we had to factor in work and all of that stuff. So um, there wasn't a whole lot of spontaneity, but the one place that there was, was um, on our drives. So often my husband would drive and I'd use that time to research places we could stop for lunch or for a dog walk. So like the best place we went for a dog walk was um, Indiana Dunes National Park, which I didn't even know existed. Um, I didn't didn't either. Where where is it? Indiana Dunes. Yeah, it's on Lake Michigan. Um, It's just the gorgeous beaches with these huge sand dunes. They were pretty empty and they're dog friendly, which is really rare for National Park. So we took our dog in to swim in the lake and it was really fun. And then, yeah, for lunch, like I found in Montana one day, I think it was near Flathead Lake. I found a place called Cowboy Up Country Cooking. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a tiny wooden shack. I think there's space for 12 people. There's a real country vibe. It's Southern, classic Southern food, like, you know, uh, barbecue ribs, po' boys, mashed potatoes. That's like like the British dream of what the U.S. is all about, right? The the, the (laughs) American West right there. Like comfort food. (laughs) And the owners were like so chatty and welcoming, but they also, you know, carried guns on their hips. (laughs) So it was like like a real Montana vibe. Um, And then the only other time that was springing to mind was like in Cody, they had one of those, you know, those places that do like the Wild West like old school photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would do ones for dogs. And I was like, we have to do low for our corgi. So we took her in and they dressed her up like a little outlaw in a saloon with a bag of coins and a little tiny gun. <laughs> I'm guessing you still have that photo up on your, oh, yeah. up on your wall here. <laughs> <laughs> I've shared it widely. I was like, you're welcome, Instagram followers. <laughs> Is there a spot? It sounds like there's a few of them, probably Indiana. Indiana Dunes? Is that what yeah. it's called? Is there a spot that just surprised, like a place, you know, I've had this happen a lot of the, like a place that you just expect nothing of. Hmm. And then it, and then you're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I want to come back here. So in Montana, I think I obviously expected a lot of the wilderness. I knew that it was going to be very beautiful, but I didn't expect the, the towns, like the cities to be so cool. And I think maybe Bozeman, people know Bozeman's cool, especially the pandemic, I feel like meant that a lot of people were moving there and the Bozeman residents are not too thrilled about that. Right. <laughs> but Missoula was amazing as well. Like I had the best bowl of ramen that I think I've ever had in my life at a little place called Michi Ramen Bar. And I remember that evening there was like a market down by the river and people were tubing and it just felt really vibrant and fun and kind of not what I, not as, I, I thought they wouldn't be as trendy as that. Like I didn't expect it to be so fun. Yeah. I, the, those types of, ta- like, I mean, it, it sounds like, like Bend, Oregon or, you know, Boulder to an extent, although far more, you know, populated now. But it is great. Those like towns that have that great outdoor element, but then also have that cool cultural center that, that you kind of get the, the best of both worlds. So you mentioned you ended up in L.A. How and like when did you wrap up the trip? Why did you decide to go back, basically? (laughs) Okay, so in a plot twist, we were kind of deciding like we got to California and we were like, okay, we've made it. We've made it to this opposite coast. What do we do now? We'd only planned up until California. (laughs) So we were trying to decide, I was like, are we going to buy it? Like, are we going to move to Boulder and like buy a house and just become? Did you give up your place in New York? So, yeah. Okay. okay. So you were kind of free. Yeah. So we really, I kind of didn't expect that we would go back to New York. I was ready to try something new. So we were definitely discussing that. I was like, are we going to be bolder people who like, you know, go hiking after work and like swim in the river and stuff? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so yeah, we were in these deep discussions about what to do next. And then 
one morning, our friend Doug, um, this is in LA, our friend Doug had bought us this, these delicious breakfast tacos that were supposed to be like the best in Silver Lake. And I was like, yum, thanks. And then I was like, Ugh. I was eating it. And I was like, oh, I feel sick. And then I looked at my app, that my cycle tracking app, and I was like, oh, my period's like a week late. I should probably take a pregnancy test. <laughs> so I went to CVS and got the test. I think I'd, I like hopped in the shower. And when I got out, it was like an unmistakable dark line. So I was like, oh, okay. I think, I think I'm definitely pregnant. I didn't have out-of-state insurance though, which is like a very American problem. So <laughs> I joined this like millennial women's health startup called Tia, which has like a location in Silver Lake and meant that I could go and get a, like a proper pregnancy test there and like a blood test to make sure everything, like hormone levels were fine. Um, so yeah, they confirmed it. And even though it was early days, we were like, well, we're going to have to start heading back to New York so I can like actually get a doctor and figure out what's going on in there. <laughs> well, did you, that, I mean, so, well, first of all, I hope you enjoyed the, the, that sense of freedom that you got by giving up your place in New York and, and not having kids and everything. And now, you know, not you're, you're back, but you yeah. know, at the same time, what a wonderful way to, to end a trip and have that reason to go back. How did that, I mean, that kind of like the, the emotional tug of of all the you know the stuff that happened before and then like the the elation of the of the end of it like how did that whole experience that whole you know it's it's a story that you're I mean you should you should read a book probably someday um, <laughs> but like I, you know how did that change your perspective on on travel itself I think it helped me to realize that travel really can be like a mechanism for for healing so I had a missed miscarriage specifically which is when your body doesn't realize that the pregnancy is no longer viable. So there are no signs. It's continuing as if it's a normal pregnancy. And then you go for a scan for an ultrasound and they say, oh, that there's no heartbeat. I'm sorry. So that made me like really distrust my body. You know, it was like a one-two punch of like losing this envisioned future that I had for myself and then being like, and my body has betrayed me. <laughs> and so I felt like in the, with the hiking in particular, I could tell like I was getting so much fitter and stronger. And through that, I started to begin to like trust myself again. And I feel like the pregnancy came at the exact right time because we were sort of coming to the end of something. And I was, I felt like I'd come a long way, like emotionally and physically from where I was at in New York with all of that grief. And so then I was really ready to start something new. And I don't think I would have got to that point if we hadn't have gone on this trip. So with these life-changing trips that people talk about and and we've you know many of us have have had them but I don't know that we all know how to kind of make them happen right like is there is is there anything that's come out of all, all these conversations where it's like okay you mentioned a few con kind of commonalities is there something that's like okay I know how to make a life-changing trip happen are there are there like insider secrets to to planning that I think one of the things you can do is go with a question that you want to be answered. So if you are in one of those transitional phases of life and you're wondering what you're going to do next, then I think you can go and you can think about that. I think, you know, travel creates a little space in our lives, a little pause that we don't often get um, to really process and analyze. So I think, yeah, going with a question is a good idea. Doing something out of your comfort zone, of course. And then there are certain destinations that I've seen come up again and again on the show. The main one being Paris. We've had a lot of Paris stories, which really? I think is interesting because I've really noticed how much Americans love 
Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I think it might also be related to like an expectation of the place. And I think one of the amazing things about travel is that, you know, we get to leave behind our responsibilities and maybe any of the, you know, the expectations that our community or our culture has for us and try on different identities. So going to a place where you're like, you know, who would I be? Like, who would Paris as me be? You know, would she be someone who finds like cute natural wine bars and gets talking to a stranger? Like, you know, be the main character, <laughs> narrativize your life. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with Esme Benjamin. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you, and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. Okay, so, so let's talk about you. Congratulations on your baby girl. How, is, how old is she now? She is 13 months, almost 14 months. Almost 14 months. Okay, so <laughs> you have a, a lot of exciting adventures ahead of you, for sure. Like, there's so many different stages of traveling with kids. How do you see your future there? Like, how is travel going to be a factor there? Oh, my God, I'm still trying to figure it out, honestly. Because everyone said travel with her lots when she's young. But obviously, each phase or each stage comes with challenges. <laughs> right now I'm trying to figure out what's the best thing because she's very active right now. She's walking. So I'm like, okay, is like going to like a city a good idea? I don't know because she doesn't like being in the stroller. It feels like at this age, there is no ideal situation. Maybe a resort for this age because she's not old enough to go into a kid's club yet. But I think maybe it was you who told me this, that like being on the sand slows them down when they're toddlers. <laughs> I, did, I did tell you that. And that is my best tip for traveling with toddlers is that you go to a beach because they can't move that fast in the sand. That's that's my my advice as a tra family travel expert. Yes. Take, put them on the sand somewhere because they can't Okay, so maybe that's the next trip we'll do is something like that. Go. But I think like for a long time, I did not want children. I only really changed my mind in my mid-30s at the very last minute. Um, so I think one of the things that, that did make me want to have them was like envisioning myself. I envisioned a daughter specifically and I was envisioning like how like a life with her would go and specifically around travel. You know, I was like, what would it be like to go with her to, you know, on a safari or on like a cruise around the Antarctic or, you know, there's so many things that I want to do with her. I don't know when those will come, but I like imagining her at different ages down the line. I think this is a, just a tricky phase when they're very young because they're not making memories yet either. I'm looking forward to when I know that she's actually processing and making the memories. 
I still think, look, I'm a firm believer that it still affects them. Getting out of her element and being somewhere completely different does have an imprint. She's not going to remember it, of course. But like, I do think it's not it's not wasted effort. I also think like you do have so many great experiences ahead with her. And I would say I, I will say like my my best advice of traveling with kids is that for one, do it. Yes. Travel with them. But the other one is to like travel solo with them. I, I think one of the the best things I've done is that I've taken each of my kids, just the two of us, on some great trips. And those, it's I love traveling with all three of them. I love traveling with the whole family. But I also really think that those one-on-one trips have been really great for me. Hopefully, hopefully for them as well. I but I, 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 so that's that's my advice is like try to, you know, for your husband too. Your husband should take her on trips. You should take her on trips and you should all go on trips. But it's, I think that one-on-one time is important. I agree. And I, you know, travel is the thing that we remember in life. You know, that's the thing we remember the, the most clearly in our lives. Sure. So I really want her, like my memories of childhood revolve around, you know, doing road trips through France and Spain or like going camping in Cornwall and the English coastline and you know th- those are things I remember so I want her to have those same memories but yeah I can't wait to share lots of trips with her well Esme it's been a real pleasure having you thank you so much for joining us thank you it's been really fun and now for the wall and wrap up I mentioned at the top that I'm going to be a guest on Esme's podcast the trip that changed me and it really is a great podcast you should definitely check it out she talks, she gets all these great stories from people who've gone on these kind of, you know, life-altering trips. And I got to say, it was it was hard picking one, that, you know, one trip that, that changed me. But I do think the one that I, I talk, ended up talking about on her show was that kind of trip. It really did kind of change the course of my life and, and is a big part of, of who I am today and how I travel and what I do for a living. So you'll have to tune in to the episode to to find out what that was. So be sure to check out Esme's podcast and be on the lookout for some great episodes of Travel That Matters coming up in the next few weeks and Master Chef launching in January. We'll see you soon. We'd like to thank Esme Benjamin for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information about the show, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. Travel that matters is produced and edited for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Marketing by Katrin Skipertis. Music by Joey Salvia. And hosted by me, Bruce Wallen. And we will see you down the road. <laughs>